I'd like to take this opportunity this morning just to, just to take a time to appreciate everybody that serves as volunteers in the life of this community. Our church is all about equipping people for building God's kingdom wherever you are. And therefore, we often talk about the gathered church and the scattered church, that when we are here together, we are the gathered church that comes for encouragement, for strengthening, for learning, for, for ministering to one another. And then when we go out, we're the scattered church that go into all of our different spaces to build the kingdom of God. And we know that every one of you are being used by the Lord wherever you go. But we also have the people that take their time and energy to serve the rest of us when we are gathered together and in our gathered spaces and even in some of the scattered spaces that are volunteers that helps and serve others to be able to, to experience the Lord and minister to the Lord in any of these occasions. So I want to take just a moment to thank all our different volunteers and, and we've got some statistics on the slides that I just want to show you this morning to tell you about the amazing people that we have that volunteer in the life of this church that we're going to start with. We have Sunday volunteers. These volunteers you experience as you come here on a Sunday, and they will help you with parking, serving, communion, visitors' tea, baptism, and prayer teams. And that's 187 people that volunteer in those teams that we have. Then we have uh, teams, you're going to applaud right at the end. Um, then we have worship and technical teams. These are the people that either are in the teams on stage, and actually you would not know it always here, but we've got many different teams on a Sunday that lead in Reverb, in this evening service, in, in C4G, and uh, we have technical teams that have to set up for a bunch of different places. Some Sundays they set up 20 venues that we have here where different people in different groupings get ministered to and experience just the, the love of the Lord. And those technical teams and worship teams, that's 120 people. And then we have events and conference teams that are on special occasions. We would have events that we host here or conferences that we host like we do with the TCN conference that we had every year that we would have pastors from all over the nation or GLS or any other conferences. And there, there we have 87 uh, volunteers, or uh, 72, sorry, 72 people that spend time and that come and just make people feel really welcome and special when they come onto our grounds and serve them in really fantastic ways. Then we have the next generation teams that are our teams in C4G, Reverb, and the young adults, and they make up a whopping 216 people that volunteer in those spaces. Now, most of them are not with us here in the mornings. They are out there with the children and in the Reverb and in the evening service, and they serve those age groups. Then we have our Hatfield Initiatives, where we have 110 people that serve and, and volunteer in the Hatfield Children's Homes, prison and hospital ministries, and that service volunteer apprentices. So that's a fantastic number of people. And outreach teams, we have 127 people that are volunteers in our outreach team that go to on different outreaches. Then we have our life group leaders, 117 life group leaders that sometime during the week will have people that come to their homes or to a home that they use and where they minister to people and build community with people and spend time worshiping and loving the Lord. Then we have shepherds, 85 people that help and support those life group leaders and form part of our, of our congregations and serve with the pastors in leading the congregations and creating community in there. Then we have 19 elders that are people that have been nominated by you and chosen by us to serve in the church to help us with the governance and the oversight of the health and the life of the church. In the Hope Center, which is the area where we send people to for some prayer ministry and counseling and things like that, we have 40 people in those teams that are prayer intercessors, 
they do course prep, uh, presenting, and they are counselors and, and care group leaders. So that's 40 people that do that. That means in total, as a church, we have an amazing 1,093 volunteers serving in the life of this community. And that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So that basically means that at least 25% of the people in our church are involved in volu as volunteers here. And I just want to thank you and commend you for that. And I want to thank those that serve as volunteer coordinators also. Jillian, who's our, our volunteer yellow person that makes everybody excited about everything. And then everybody else that in their spaces call it... Uh, coordinates those volunteers, it's such an honor and a privilege. So I, wanna, I wonder if you're a volunteer in any of those spaces I mentioned, or if there's perhaps even something that I didn't mention, but you know you volunteer in the life of the church. It's not most of them aren't here with us, or, but those that are here, we want to pray for you, and in proxy, you'll stand for the rest. So every volunteer in the life of the church, won't you just stand right where you are, and we're going to take a moment and just bless you and pray for you and thank you. So there you can see all these beautiful, wonderful people that serve in the life of the church. If you're sitting close to one of them, then uh, take notice of them so that at some point you can say thanks to them. And, uh, and uh, right now we're gonna take an opportunity to pray for them. Won't you stretch out your hands towards them or put a hand on them if you're close by and let's pray for them. Father, we thank you for people's hearts that are after you and that are in a space where they want to help and facilitate for others to experience your goodness and that are prepared to do it in many very real and practical ways. Some that get to pray for people, share the word with people, others that just get to serve, help people carry things, put things right for people, drive people, whatever it is, Lord, we thank you for every person that gives in this way and in this capacity. And we know that as a church, we wouldn't be able to do nearly close to half of anything we do if it wasn't for them. So we bless them, we pray for them, we pray that every ounce of energy they've spent, every, every rand they've spent, every moment, Father, that you would reward them 30, 60, 100 fold for that in eternity. And we bless them today, we bless every family represented in Jesus' name. And we all together say, Amen, Amen. Amen. I want to try and just do a, a little bit just of a synopsis of a portion of James where we are today. Last week I, I did touch on it very briefly but couldn't be able to do it justice. So I'm going to read f with you today James 3 and talk from verse 13 to 18. So a little bit of a shorter section that really talks about wisdom and two kinds of wisdom that we get and that James encourages us. Just to remind you that James is wanting to help us as believers, first of all those messianic uh, communities that he was writing to that were experiencing difficulties, that were experiencing socioeconomic pressure, and, and also to us by extension, he's writing to try and make sure that we don't get caught in what he entitles double-mindedness, as some translations have it, or double-souledness, where you actually come into a place where a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but you're not anything really, where you a believer in some ways, but not a believer in every way. Or you're an unbeliever in some ways, but not an unbeliever in every way. And it's almost like when the Bible talks about being lukewarm. And you're in that state of inactivity and of really being able to move forward in your life because you are double-souled. And he's particularly wanting to talk to these people about this because they were under pressure. And I think we've all experienced it, that when you're under pressure, when you're in a stage of life where every decision begins to matter, 
It's very easy, as I told the story of you last week with my toothbrush, and by the way, just to fulfill my accountability, I did open that toothbrush Sunday night, and I'm now using my new toothbrush. But where you can so easily get caught in that place of inactivity and not quite committing to anything. And under times of pressure, it's particularly like that. And, and so many of us, I know, in this community, and as, as the pastors are speaking and giving us feedback and praying with you and, and the leaders, that they, I, we know there's so many here that are experiencing difficulty and pressure. We know it's a tough time economically for people and families. Many of you are, are in a situation where you may have lost your job. If you have a job, you're not getting an increase. It may also mean that you are having to do the work of two or three or four or five people, but you're not getting paid more, but you have to work a lot more. And all of the pressure that is building. And we know that. And, and, and it's in times like this where it's so important for us to turn to the Word. Not just for encouragement and upliftment, but for equipping. And, and, and as I was sharing earlier, so that we can engage and that we can be equipped and receive the tools about how do we move through a time like this towards that which God has for us on the other side. And it's therefore that James speaks to these people, this community of people, these communities that are under pressure, where they feel like they've come to a crossroads, where must I turn left or must I turn right, or a fork in the road, is this the way to go or is that the way to go? And, and every decision matters. And, they, and, they, and they're struggling to figure out what is right and how do we live. And it's in, in that space where he talks to them about wisdom. And he says it's so important that we have wisdom from God to know how to live, particularly in times when it's tough do we need wisdom. How many of you have been asking the Lord for wisdom of late? You're having to make some decisions. You're having to look at some of your expenses you have to decide, where am I going to cut? What am I going to not do? And what do we have to do? And, and those decisions require wisdom, don't they? Because we don't want to just be reactionary. We want to be wise people. Or perhaps you have to make lifestyle decisions or decisions about a job or, or decisions in your family about your children. And, and you say, Lord, I need your wisdom. So James writes to us about wisdom. And he, and he basically, through this portion of Scripture, says to us there, that we must, be, we must be careful because there's two types of wisdom. And both can look equally wise, but the one will lead to life and the other one will lead to destruction. And he wants these messianic communities and us also, therefore, to have some frame of reference, to have some understanding about what is the difference between these two types of wisdom so that we don't choose the wrong path. So that we don't go right where we were supposed to go, have gone left and end up going into greater and greater difficulty. So he writes about wisdom. Let's read verse 13 and 14. If you are wise and understanding God's ways. Remember he's writing to fellow believers, Christians, not unbelievers. If you as brothers and sisters, fellow believers, say you are wise and understanding in God's ways. Prove it by living an honorable life doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. He uses different characteristics to start describing for us the two types of wisdom. He's wanting us to diagnose, in a sense, when we see something that presents itself as wisdom. Is it real wisdom or is it phantom wisdom? In, in the Greek, the, the concept that they use here for the other type of wisdom is called phantom wisdom. It's fake wisdom. 
It looks like the real thing, but it isn't the real thing. And he's wanting us to understand the difference. So he's giving us some characteristics, some understanding. But let's begin with perhaps just reminding ourselves of what is wisdom? How do we define wisdom? Wisdom, as in the dictionary says, it's the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Knowledge can exist without wisdom, but not the other way around. You can know a lot about something, but not be wise in how you apply it. But if you have wisdom, it means that you have got knowledge about something. To use an example, and excuse me if this example doesn't fit with your sensitivities, but I, I think it's, I couldn't think of a better way to say this. It's like having the knowledge about what a gun is and how a gun works and even having the understanding to how to use a gun, how to load it, how to clean it, how to shoot with it. It's, that's knowledge and understanding. You can even become a good marksman and be able to hit the target quite regularly through knowledge and understanding. But wisdom is what you need to have in order to know when to use a gun, if ever, and when to take it out of its holster and when to keep it in its holster. You can be a proficient marksman, but a wise marksman knows that the power of the, of the weapon is in, actually in the fact that you hardly ever use it, that you don't use it. And that's wisdom. So wisdom is what we acquire through learning about something, but then understanding how to apply it, how to do it, where it is used, how it is used, how best, best it fits with other things. What is the impact if I do something? How does it relationally affect others or other things? You can build a house with knowledge, but it takes wisdom to build a home. Wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge it was, it is what is gathered over time through study. It, but it can be said that wisdom in turn acts properly upon that knowledge. Wisdom is the fitting application of knowledge. I think you, you get the idea. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the information I possess in the way that is the best and the right way to apply that information. Wisdom is very valuable. And we see that in the scripture, you know, God inter interaction with uh, Solomon, for instance, and in the book of Proverbs, which we've spent some time in, where he put this challenge before Solomon and he said to Solomon, you, uh, you, uh, you can have anything. If whatever you ask me, I'll give you. And Solomon said, Lord, give me wisdom. How to reign and rule for your people in the way that is right. And the Lord said to him, because you asked for wisdom and not for money, I will give you wisdom and money. If you only asked for money and wealth, I would have only given you wealth. I wonder how many of us were given the opportunity to have wisdom and the winning numbers of the lottery ticket would choose wisdom. Or would really be tempted to feel that if I just had more money, I can live better. The scripture tells us more money is not going to make you live better. Wisdom will make you live better. Wisdom is very, very valuable. The story is told about the, the, the auto manufacturer, Henry Ford, 
that asked the electrical genius, a guy by the name of Charlie Steinmetz, to build the generators for his massive factories that he was building to develop the motor vehicles. And one day the generators ground to a halt and, and the repairman couldn't find the problem. So Ford called Steinmetz, who tinkered with the machines for a few hours and then threw the switch and the, generation sprung to, the generators sprung to life and the whole thing was sorted out. And then Henry Ford got the bill from Mr. Steinmetz and the bill in those days was $10,000. Now Henry Ford, who was known to be quite stingy, was uh, quite upset about this large bill that he got for something that seemed to be so simple, where a man just walked around and tinkered with a few things for a while and then everything was solved. And uh, so he, he queried the bill, and the answer came back from Mr. Steinmetz, that's the reply that says, for tinkering with the generators, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. <laughs> you can know a lot about a thing, but you don't know how to affect the difference and the change. And that's what wisdom is required. And wisdom in times of trouble and in trying times and times of the, the trials and the persecutions that James wrote to these communities about is very, very dear and very, very valuable. So these believers were in testing times and they had decisions to make. How do they behave? How do they get out of their troubles in the best way? And they had to make decisions about wisdom. What is the right application of the truth they have? Now, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to just really cut to the chase here this morning. And just, if I go back to verse 13 and 14, he gives us a clue as to how to discern between the two types of wisdom. The wisdom from above, as he called it, which is godly wisdom, or the wisdom from below, which is actually, he calls, demonic wisdom, or the wisdom of this world. He says this, doing, if any of you say you have wisdom... Don't just say it, show it. Show that you have wisdom. And the way you show it in a way that brings honor to God is by doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. So a key word that we have to link with wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, is the word humility. On the other hand, he links a couple of words to the wisdom from below. In verse 14, he says, if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. So he says, where humility is, goes associated with biblical wisdom, godly wisdom, selfishness, envy, jealousy, and selfish ambition, that is associated with the wisdom of this earth. So it's almost like he says, if you want to discern the two wisdoms, you've got to know where they each come from, what they are built in, what gives rise to them. What gives rise to biblical wisdom is humility. What gives rise to the wisdom from below is selfishness. It's, it's, he's saying to us, it's the direction, it's the origin and the direction of the heart that determines the type of wisdom that it will produce. So let's talk about humility. What is humility? Why does humility produce wisdom? You see, humility in the context here where he talks about it is the humility that understands that God is God and I am not. It is the humility that understands that as we've been speaking about, that I am not good and I am not good enough. And there's not enough goodness in me to make life good for me and for others. But that if I want goodness, if I want an honorable life, I have to come to God and basically what it means is to put him first. 
Solomon writes in Proverbs, and he says in Proverbs 1 verse 7 and in 9 verse 10, he says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. What he's literally saying is that if you want wisdom in life, you've got to start with God and you've got to end with God. Then everything in your life has to be about God. The direction of your life and the origin of your life has to be God. If you want God's wisdom, you must have God. You can't have his wisdom without him. And to have him, you must, with everything in you, solely be about him. If you put God first, simply meaning, if your life becomes a life that is about pleasing God, then you will find wisdom. That's humility. It's a life of surrender. It's a life of obedience to God. It's a life that says, Lord, I put you first in everything I do. That life, that direction of the heart, which has that humility, will discover the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God will be displayed through that life. The other side of the, of, of the issue, the wisdom of this world comes about through the opposite of humility. And the opposite of humility is what he describes here. In some translations, he talks about jealousy. Other translations talks about envy. And then it talks about selfish ambition. Why? Why does he zero in? There's so many vices. There's so many problems that we have. Why does he zero in on envy, jealousy, selfishness? Because that's the opposite of humility. Because those things happen where I put myself first. Where the life of godly wisdom is a life that put God's first. The life of demonic wisdom or the wisdom from below is the result of a life that puts itself first. Where I say it's about me. It's not about pleasing God, it's about my pleasure. It's about doing everything that is good for me, how I understand it, and what I want in life, and my desires. When I do that, there's a different type of wisdom that will emerge in my life. So in reality, if you want to understand the two, types of the two types of wisdom, it simply begins at that. Humility, God first. My life is there to serve Him, to bring Him honor, to bring Him glory. Me first. Life is about my pleasure, my success, my joy. And he says where that is found, you find, if you see that, it, a person may sound very wise, but if that's the underlying current of their life, if that's the direction of their heart, that wisdom, don't be fooled by it. It will lead to destruction. And that's what he carries on in verse 15 and 16. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil kind. Now we must remember he's writing and he's speaking to individuals, but within the context of a community, and his heart's actually about the community. And what he's trying to say to the people is you as an individual... Remember, he starts, if you believe you are wise and understanding of God's ways, you the individual, if you believe you are wise, be careful of the wisdom that you practice because the wisdom you practice will affect the community. And if the community is built up and strengthened, the kingdom of God will be built on earth. But if the wisdom that you have is the wisdom of this earth, it will destroy the community and therefore the kingdom of God will not be able to be built. So your individual approach to wisdom is very important because downstream, it's what kingdom it will build. My wisdom in my life that I practice 
If I practice the wisdom from above, the kingdom of God will be built. If I practice the wisdom from below, the kingdom of Satan will be built. And there's only one of those two ways that my life will go. And the one begins with humility, the other one begins with self. The wisdom he here therefore talks about, and he uses very strong language, when he says, such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. The word earthly he uses here is the word to describe it's common among man. It's what you find on earth. It's what everybody thinks. Unspiritual is the word that means it's, it originates from a heart, emotions, and thinking that is set on selfish desires. It's not spiritual in nature. It is human in nature, self-directing, dominated by the self, and then demonic Remember, that the, how, how did, why did Satan get kicked out of heaven? Because he stood up and he said, I'm no longer wanting to serve God. And so where you find the spirit that says, my needs above God's needs, there you find the demonic in charge. It can look nice. It can smell nice. You won't even know the demonic is there. But it will be fully present and active because that's what gives the demonic power is when we say we will serve ourselves. That's what opens the door. And then he says, for where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. He's writing to these communities, these Christian communities, and he's saying to them, this is really important that you practice the right wisdom because if you practice the wrong wisdom, you are going to destroy your communities. Your communities will be torn apart and evil, every kind of evil and disorder will come in. The word disorder is a key word because to have God's kingdom, you've got to build on God's order. We spoke about that earlier this year. To have God's kingdom, you've got to build on God's order. And remember we spoke about God owns and I manage in stewardship, it's God's order. So when I understand that this community, if we apply it to us here at Hatfield Christian Church, this community belongs to God. It exists for God, not for me. Do you know that this church or any church on this planet doesn't exist for you? Firstly, it exists for God. Our worship on a Sunday here is not for you. It's for God. When we come together, we are here for Him and for His purposes. I want to read you just a quick story. Henry Ward Beecher was a famous pastor, preacher. During his tenure as a great orator, a visiting minister, his brother was once asked to substitute for him, uh, uh, for this popular pastor that everybody came from far and wide to hear him preach. And obviously the days before there was, you know, social media and the internet, people traveled to hear this guy preach. And one day people were traveling from far and they came to the church and he didn't preach that Sunday. His brother preached in, in his stead for some other reason. A large audience had already assembled to hear Beecher, and when the substitute pastor stepped into the pulpit, several disappointed listeners began to move towards the exits. That's when the minister stood up and said loudly, all who have come here today to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now withdraw from the church. All who have come to worship God, keep your seats. We can so easily get it wrong. Because the wisdom in humility makes sure that everything is about God. And we judge everything according to how does God feel about it. 
And then secondarily of what does it mean for us. doesn't mean what it means for us is unimportant. It's just compared to what it means to God. We just don't get those two confused. So he's saying this community cannot be built on any person's desires or needs or because then it will become selfish ambition. And it will lead to envy. Envy is when we strive with one another. And in this context, Douglas Moo, commentator, says he's literally talking about when, when somebody you disagree with speaks and other people actually choose to believe what they say over what you say. And it leads to that envy. That's what he's talking about. He's saying in these communities what were happening is because they were under pressure and because they were struggling they were looking for help. So they were looking for leaders that would speak to them and help them go through the difficult times. And some of them were choosing some leaders and, and some others, and they were starting to be drawn apart because they were putting men up and destroying their foundation. It's all about God. Because they had needs. Their needs were real. They were really poor. They were struggling. They were looking for help, and you can understand in a situation like that why people would draw to some leaders that makes them feel like there's hope. But he's saying to them, don't do that. That leads to envy, and it will split your community apart if you start making it about other things than putting God first. I don't have time to apply that, but I think that speaks volumes in our own nation at this point in time. In our own nation. Because where we do that, Disorder comes. And where disorder comes, where God is no longer the foundation, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one because of who we do everything and the one for who we do everything, if we replace any of those things with somebody else, that becomes our idol. And then evil can come in. As a church, we've got to hold that in our families, in our lives. Verse 17 to 18, and then I'm going to finish. But the wisdom from above is, or first of all, pure. It is peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Just quickly, let me mention those characteristics, six characteristics that he gives of this wisdom from above. He says it's pure, it's clean, it's uncontaminated, it's not driven by selfishness. You can see through it. What you see is what you get. There's a purity in it. It's peace-loving. It seeks unity. It seeks to include others and to be at peace with others. It finds ways to coexist within a community of faith. It yields to others. It listens to the opinions of others. It makes space for wisdom that comes from others. It is not a person that feels they know it all. And that's why these three characteristics are the three opposites of envious, selfish, and ambitious. Because where there's a community built around people, it becomes, you can become envious. Is our pastor better than that pastor? Is our building better than that? Is our music better than that? Because we start making about other things. Then he speaks about mercy and good deeds, love for each other that is shown in good works and charity towards each other. No favoritism, that not favoring those that are like me and that serve my agenda. You can see where there's envy and selfishness, how it tears a community apart, because then I start feeling closer to those that I prefer, that are like me and that serve my purposes, and I 
build distance from those that are different. A, a kingdom community cannot do that. Because Jesus doesn't do that. And the last one is sincerity. Stable and trustworthy people. The kind of person consistently showing the virtues of wisdom and on whom one can rely for advice and counsel. James writes these issues because he's, a, he's wanting to make sure that communities of faith stand strong through the trying times. That when they come out the other side, the glory of the Lord will be upon them. That when they go through the difficult times, they wouldn't have compromised and given up on their faith to the point where they're unrecognizable when they come out the other side and they're no longer kingdom communities, but communities about people and people's needs. But that they stand, stand strong in their faith, keep the right things before them so that they can be the glory of the Lord to their cities and communities where they are based. He says finally, Wisdom from above is about putting God first and then seeking to serve the community while wisdom from below is about putting self first and then serving one's own interests and using the community to serve your own interests. I want to encourage you and ask you this morning. Let us build our communities of faith, our church, between the South Church and this church, our community. Let us build our church on Jesus, not on anyone else. A while ago, I spoke a message about roots and fruits, and I, I, I encouraged us. To, I said, let's build on Jesus with our gifts. Let's not build on our gifts with Jesus. Let's build on Jesus. If we build our churches on Jesus, not on our leaders, and not on our people, not on the needs of our people or the skills of our, and the giftings and the callings and the anointings of our leaders, I don't think that's what you build a church on. You build a church with those things, but you build a church on Jesus. May we be clear that Jesus, everything is about Jesus. And that as a community, we seek unity, peace, togetherness. Because Jesus said, by your love for one another will they know that you are mine. Our strongest witness in this world is not how fantastic our worship and our, our preaching, and it's, our, it's us. We are our best communication to this world, that we love one another, that we seek to, to solve our problems in ways that honors God. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Let us build our families on Jesus, not on the parents, not on the children, but on Jesus. You see, if you build your family on the parents or if you build your family on your children, Unfortunately, you're putting any of those in a position where they become the idol. Our families can become our idols. When last if you sat down as a family and said, Lord Jesus, what are you asking of us as a family? How should we live to please you? We want to please you first, Lord. We don't want our family to be our safe space and our place where it pleases us more than it pleases you. When you do that, the Lord is faithful. He provides for you all of the other things. Remember, seek first the kingdom of God, and he will add all these things to you. When you build your career, when you build your business, build it on Jesus. Don't build it on your need for success or influence or money or security. Build it on Jesus. When last have you knelt and said, Lord, here's my job. I thank you for it, but it's yours. I build it for you, Lord. You see, because when we do that consistently, godly wisdom rises within us. It takes time, it takes application, it takes discipline, it takes exercise, but it comes up from us. 
And then the glory of the Lord rises upon us. But when we build on ourselves, as good as we may be, we are limiting God seriously. And it will fail in the end. So I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to read for you Proverbs 3 verse 5. I can quote it for you. One of the scriptures I learned as a teenager and memorized. Proverbs 3 verse 5. And I want to leave you with this. And if you want to go read this and memorize it for yourself, just keep it in front of you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. And he will make your path straight. Him first. Can we just pray that this morning? And say, Lord, we want as a community to build your kingdom. In order for us to do that, we need wisdom. And we will only get wisdom because we are humble before you. Can I say to you as Hatfield, we are not trying to be the best church compared to somebody else. We're trying to be the best church God is asking of us to be. And therefore, we give everything we can. We take it very seriously. But we're not competing with anybody else. We're not trying to be better than anybody else. We're really trying to be faithful to what is God saying. And he'll say different things to different communities. That's why there's seven letters to the different churches in Revelation. We're trying to discern what God is saying to us. And to serve him to the best that we can. Can we just pray that this morning? Father, we thank you. Thank you that you've included us. That you've invited us to be your children. To be your co-workers in your kingdom. To stand up, to rise up with you. To build kingdom communities. That will become the visible representation. The reflection of the glory of the Lord. Lord, we put this community that we love so much, we put it before you and we say, Lord, this is your community. I'm so thankful for what this community has done for me over 40 years that I've been part of this community. So much that I've learned and and received from this community, Lord. But this community doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you, Lord. Have your way. Lord, I thank you for my family, for the amazing blessing my family is, but I give them to you and I say, Lord, we, we exist to honor you. We want to build our family on Jesus. Lord, thank you for my work. Thank you for my life. Thank you for everything I have. But today I come and put it down before you again. And I say, Lord, it's yours. Thank you that you use me. That you equip me. That you entrust me with what belongs to you. That you give me the right to be a steward. To manage what is yours. And that's the way that it best represents who you are is that you and I do it together. But I recognize it's yours, Lord. And thank you that when I do that, I can be free. Because then I'm in my right place and in the order of the Lord. Thank you for this community. I bless every person in this community. May the wisdom from above that is birthed out of humility rise within us to the glory of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May you have a fantastic, fantastic week. We're praying for people. If you want prayer this morning, come to the front. We're baptizing people in the functions hall. People that wants to visit us, tea, you're welcome to my right. 
And remember, next week, Sunday evening, we're celebrating Christmas together in our Christmas celebration. You don't want to miss it. We're going to have a great time with the kids, everybody together. So please join us for that. The Lord bless you.